imagine yeah. that we're careful. No, that's fair. It just makes me laugh a little bit. Like, if I'm not risking, you know, risking some disease or food poisoning, am I really even having real cider? But it, but are you recording it? Yeah. Okay. Is there spice in the spiced cider? <laughs> Sorry. Notice how hard it was for me to roll my eyes at that time. You look, you look a little yeah. ill. Are you feeling a general malaise? I mean, malaise. Sorry. What? You can find spice. Melange. Well, their eyes aren't full blue yet. Listen, full con- full blown confession. I have not read more than sixty pages that I read this summer. <laughs> the most boring part of Dune. I'm in a reading slump, and I wasn't excited about going back to something I'd abandoned for reasons. Because the first sixty some pages are the most boring part of Dune. Yes, but listen, I'm also in the middle of finals, so it's very difficult for me to even touch anything that's not the computer. Oh, I considered getting the audiobook even, and then by the time that I had considered doing it. The waitlist on it on Woodlands is like wildly like horrifying. Well, um, I made the mistake of using my Audible credit for something else, and then only afterwards did I realize, like, oh, I was supposed to read Dune, and I was going to do that with an audiobook, because it's, oh, oh, well. <laughs> so. I did download it um, from Audible, just, but, yes. of course, life got busy. I didn't. It exists. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, you've read it before. I've read it before. I can hang. You're fine. I, I at least watched the movie. I will be taking a back seat while you all discuss the very Oh, you're not going to argue? I, can't, I don't have any... Like, I don't have any foot to stand on. The movie's only half the story. So when we're talking about the first half, you can argue. So it'll be the three of us playing. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, I can, yes, yes. The three of you, I mean, it's, we, I will say things when. I they, can't wait for this. Yes, yes. But I'm I, excited you know. for this Does because that mean you have inflammatory. Today? It's fine. The last three podcasts, I've done 80% of the talking, so it's. Oh, and any given day, you do 80% of the talking. Actually, that's wild coming yes. from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say Okay, fair. I do the other fair. 80%. But it's because I will You do the other 80% silent. when Anthony does 80% of the talking. We had a discussion the other day. Like, we're not math people. 80%, 80% equals 80%. We have half a brain cell together. One collective half brain yeah, cell. Listen, Wait, met, who has the collective brain cell today? I met an extraordinarily articulate four-year-old girl today who, as soon as I was talking to her mom about her, I was like, oh, kindred spirits. I was like, I'm sorry, honey. So she has yeah. the collective brain cell. The mom was just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's smart and she's articulate and she uses it. All the time. And me and her dad are just like, great. <laughs> so, Should have had a dumber child. Yeah, right. They're like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get this rolling. What are we reading? What are you reading? I am reading All the Rage by Brad Fraser, a partial memoir in two acts and a prologue. Um, huh. I didn't know who he was beforehand. Nope. Uh, he's a Canadian playwright. Uh, oh, okay. Is yeah. my life get his life might get a little bit better, but like the ground we're covering right now, I'm like I he's a playwright. No, no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair. Um, there's a bit of optimism there, but like this is one of those books. Listening to him as a narrator, he might be the coolest dude ever, and I would like to read some of his work or see some of it performed. Yeah. Brad, your voice. <laughs> 
He's a writer, not it's a performer. It's a sedative. That's the reason he's the playwright and not the actor. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's... I did just finish reading. I have to throw it out there. Um, oh, my God. Better, Not Bitter by Yusuf Salam mm. of the uh, Central Park Five. Now the Exonerated Five. And if you want to get a, a nice little lens into systemic racism at work... That's a yes. that's that's a place I to need, start. I need more. Of that. Well, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of it, but like that's one more really good entry. And I was thinking he needs to write more because um, he has stories. What to are tell. some of these thought, plays? Didn't he? Did he write something? With, oh, I'm gonna put. I'm it gonna, is a boy. I was gonna butcher her name. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wrote the punching the air. Okay. Yeah, punching the air. Yeah. Okay. I am currently reading my 225th book of the year. The next together by Lauren James. Don't give me that look, oh, Anthony. Uh, was that? Was that? Oh, I, you need to <laughs> practice giving the look without giving the look. Just roll your eyes internally. I'm black. We don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what? <laughs> my current book is a reread. It is a four timeline connected timelines young adult romance novel mm. in which the main characters all meet and fall in love in four different fi- in four different timelines except in all of the timelines they like die tragically because it's during like the Crimean War or like uh, they become terrorists in 2019 in like a near future alternate version of 2019 and accidentally get shot before World War 3 breaks out and all of this kind of thing <laughs> and there's a narrative device that is showing you that something is like very much controlling how these two people keep meeting, keep developing relationships, keep getting into shenanigans. And as you explore the book, it becomes made clear why this keeps happening to these two particular people yeah. in their timeline. And then, like Andy, I also just finished another really good one, A Snake Falls to Earth by uh, Darcy Little Badger, Ooh. who wrote Elatsaway, if you may have heard of that last year. Made times 100 best fantasy novels, all that kind of thing. Personally, I think I liked A Snake Falls to Earth That's even what you better. Said. It is dual perspective an Earth girl in a near future Earth, and a cottonmouth snake boy in the reflected world, and how their uh, paths cross, and they try to save a friend and save her grandma and do all sorts of cool mm. things. The cover is really cool, too. The cover is very cool. I mean, both of them are. Covers, but yeah, like the, the cover when you had it on counter day, I'm like, Oh, this is oh, Darcy! You know, I got excited. Well, and what's really cool is like the end papers, yeah, they're like snake textures, like they're yeah, so cool, they're really, really cool. Um, okay, so <clears throat> because of mental health issues, I am in a major reading slump, I'm not enjoying it, but I am slowly like this morning I read three more pages and that was enough. Um, I'm slowly reading Obi is Man Enough by Skylar Bylar. Okay. Um, who is the first... I want to get this right because... Did, did their parents uh, give them a rhyming name on purpose? Um, I honestly don't know. I think Skylar chose his name because okay. he's trans. Um, did they give themselves a rhyming name on purpose? Presumably. <laughs> Maybe. Um, that he's a really good writer. Um, so he is the first trans athlete to compete in any sport on an NCAA D1 men's team. Nice. Um, he's a swimmer. And the story is about Obi, this um, trans middle schooler, who is kicked off of his swim team because his coach is a jerk 
and the part where I'm at now, I'm like really early in the book, but he gets a new swim team because his parents are amazing, super supportive and are like, that's not gonna stand. While we find out how to sue him, let's put you on another swim team so that you don't lose everything that you learned. Um, and he's just sort of learning what it's like to go from a toxic environment to a loving environment. Oh. And some of those moments are like weirdly tear jerkish because you're just like, I am so sad that this 12-year-old has to program, reprogram themselves because people are awful. So, yeah, it's good. It's just slow going. Anyway, yeah. Uh, because of finals, I actually haven't picked up a book because, you know. Finals. I have to write, like, so Fair. many papers, and it's kind of ridiculous to even, like, continue reading because my brain is just like, I don't exist. Um, so, in the meanwhile, uh, while I was writing my papers, I watched... Um, a Korean drama, uh, W Two Worlds. Um, so the premise of the whole entire thing is the main character. She is a surgeon, or a resident surgeon. So she's like trying to get out of like residency and trying to become like an actual like doctor, doctor. Hmm. And so she is working, and her father, who she lives with, or like lives close to, because she can go to his house, is a famous webtoon writer. Or comic, oh. like comic writer, and so he's got this really famous web comic, and the plot twist comes in very, very early in this whole entire thing. Is he wants to stop writing the webtoon, like he's done, he wants to retire, he's finished, but everyone loves the webtoon so much, and so he's trying to figure out a way to end it, and so. Big brain moment on his part, he decides that he wants to kill off the main character. That's how he wants to end it. Mm. And I respect this. some weird reason, so he keeps drawing his character dying, but it just doesn't happen. Like, the editors don't want him to. He finally writes it, and the whole entire, like, show shifts over to the point of view of the main character of the web two. Hmm. And he's about to die. Interesting. And... He accidentally pulls in. Nobody knows exactly, like, how this happens. Well, they do later on, but spoilers. He pulls in the resident doctor. So he pulls in the daughter of the Webtoon creator into the world of the Webtoon. Of course. To save him. So she saves him and thinks, oh, I'm just, like, in this weird, like, alternate dimension. The dad will wake up and, like, see that the character is actually still alive and, like, a whole bunch of pages have been drawn since then that he hasn't drawn because she's continuing Interesting. it. Interesting. And this whole entire thing is, like, there's a murder mystery because the main character just keeps getting into these weird murder situations and they're trying to figure out who's trying to murder him. Plot twist, <laughs> it's the dad trying to finish the whole entire thing and he keeps drawing the character dying and it doesn't work because every time he draws the character dying, the daughter gets pulled in to save him. That's <laughs> hilarious, I love that. And then in the meanwhile, I try, I've reopened Witcher 1, the game, I tried to start it last time, and then I ended up hating the camera angle so much that I had to put it down and continued playing Sims instead. (laughs) Um, This has been a year later from me starting it the first time. I still hate the camera angles. CD Projekt Red, worst camera angle for that game. I hate it. Um, Now, 
was to be fair, was it bad because you've played so much better that's come out recently, or was it? Do you think it was bad for the time? So the game engine that it has is the Dragon Age Origins game engine. Okay. Um, and I loved their camera style, like how it would work. Hmm. It was very isometric. You pressed like the middle mouse scroller to move around the camera. It wasn't that hard. This has three different types of camera angles that you can go with in the game. So you can play it where it's over the shoulder and you're running around as him, but you still have to press the middle button to turn around. And it's just very, very sensitive, even if I turned all the, the sensitivity all the way down. Because mm. I did that, and it's still really just like... Uh, um, I even turned down my mouse sensitivity in general. No, yeah. still too much. And then you can make it high isometric, so like it's up in like the top corner, like following him around, and you still have to like move your camera around. And then there's one where you can do that, but you can zoom in and out the whole entire time. Okay. And it's just very hard to get really good camera angles to see where you're going. Yeah. And if he walks backwards... He does. He walks. (laughs) So you run forward, and then you hit the back button, and it's like I'm playing Resident Evil PlayStation version where I hit the back button, and all of a sudden you're walking instead of running, and you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I have this dude running at me, and I actually can't run backwards away from him because I'm walking. (laughs) (laughs) But if I turn around, the camera's going to move with me, and I don't want that. Grant, save us from the sensitivity. Um, or the not the oversensitivity. Yeah, oversensitivity. Yeah. I guess. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. What are you reading, Grant? Oh, I'm reading Cows by Matthew Stoko. Um, I'm sorry. I, cows. 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 Carry on. Um, who, he's a British fellow. Um, no wonder the name's weird. Yeah, I don't know even know if I'm saying it right, but um, it's a vile <laughs> book. It's gross. Vile. Oh. oh but okay. It's okay. good. It's good. It's good, but vile. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. it is huh? about a man. Who has probably the worst mother I've ever read in fiction? Ooh, that is. And he goes to work at a uh, a slaughterhouse, and it just goes because downhill from no there. No wonder the name is cows. That's the cows. Yes. That's the cows. It goes downhill from there, and there's no warm up period. It's like Ooh. awful right from the beginning. Ooh. But it, 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 it's it's interesting. It's good. But awful um, right from the beginning is the best type of beginning. So that's, that's true. That's you true. Uh, you already know that this is going to be bad and it's going to get worse. So who is it by again? Matthew Stoko. Matthew Stoko. It's not so much as like a Dante's Inferno descent into to, into hell as like you start at the second to le- second to bottom level and at some point you probably get to the bottom level. <laughs> you, but. But we don't start at the top. We start midway. We're already in there. We. But um, it uh, it good. Okay. Good. Nice. Speaking of good, how did you feel about Dune, Jen? Because I know you read it. Wait. You know, it's funny because that's the theme. Well, I made that spice joke at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. We we even talked about Dune for a minute or two. Oh, okay, well, in that case. Yeah, you missed it. Yes, because you said you didn't read it. I didn't. It's true. (laughs) Look, I need to record. It's going, doon, 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 doon. Get the little shaky piano noise. The intro music should just be a bagpipe from the movie. (laughs) I see all this and I raise you. Doon, 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 doon. Oh, my. (laughs) Doon, 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 doon. Oh, already painful. (laughs) Wait, start, wait. Yeah, that was start. Okay, I was like, wait a minute, I'm... Totally flew. Good man. 
That's good. That was, that's a subtle. I would have gone dun 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 dun, but that was nice. I'm sorry to impose the word dune on an inferior sci-fi franchise. Who? Those were bold words. Anthony wasn't listening, and I'm kind of glad I mean, that they weren't. Honestly, as episodes far as, over with. Get out. As far as I'm Grant. Cons- as far as I'm concerned, Star Wars isn't a sci-fi property. It's fantasy. So, okay. space opera. Space opera. Which is fantasy. Yes. It can be sci-fi. There's sci-fi elements, but it's fantasy. Okay, I'm Dune. Sure. Save sci-fi for you know yeah. January. Sure. Oh, oh are we doing we that in that. January? Oh yeah, we got sci-fi <laughs> coming up. Okay. Jen, you read it. I know you did. It was certainly a book. You have... <laughs> it had words. It had words and also pages. Did, did, did you have words for it? That's my question. <laughs> uh, I spent the first 50 or 60 or so of those pages bored out of my mind. <laughs> have you read Moby Dick really quick? No. And I don't plan it. <laughs> you I need to read say, that little don't. thing about like Honestly? the, the encyclopi- encyclopedia before the book began, talking about the taxonomy of like whales and. Oh, there is all of that. Okay, I this I, is where we I don't read Lamez for the like two hundred pages of you know Parisian yeah, sewers. I have read Lamez, including the digression to and, Waterloo and the which sewers, which did not need to be included. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> so, so what bored you in the first fifty pages? If, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's 50 pages of every person Paul Atreides meets going, that's a special boy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, the, that's the whole fish of it. You're like, right. I'm like, I get it. We said he's special. I believe you. You don't have to convince me. I it's think my okay. favorite part about the movie is it took that 50 pages and made it like two minutes. Yes. Yeah. They got that over with real fast. We're They're like, like yeah, all right. He's special. Let's go. Boy puts hand in box. Special he be. We move on. Like, I, I, all right. Yeah. I like the expression on Grant's face right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Do you, do you have an argument? Oh, my. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait. What, what? Oh, what is Um, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> Why it's not boring, the first 50, 60 pages. 50, 60 pages, um... That's almost indefensible, I... but carry on. Okay, okay. No, <laughs> no, I mean, 50, 60 pages out of a book that big is almost indefensible, but carry on. Okay, no, I didn't find it boring at all. That's just my personal... And that is a very yeah. personal preference, yeah. I admit. Yeah, um, I, I, I was just kind of... I liked the world from the get-go, so... Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean... Um, what did you feel? Was well, that because, like, did you like the way that the wor- in which the world was being described to you, or yeah. did you like like just the feel of the world? In I like I liked the feel, the overall vibe. I like yeah. the way it was explained. I like yeah. Herbert's writing style. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think he's good. Yeah, sentence sentence for sentence. Yeah. I think he's a really good writer. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. So that kind of took me through the exposition. Yeah. No. I um, could, yeah. I could see that. And. Yeah, so I, I didn't really see that as an obstacle. Right. Even going back in time, like uh, some of the exposition that you mentioned, or just th- that you just mentioned the word, um, some of the world building within it, like I, some books that I like now, like have you, you get like a, a really good sense of uh, the world and people's places within it, the hierarchy. Um, I'm gonna go back in time just a tiny, tiny bit because we referenced Star Wars. I love the original original trilogy. But sometimes I never fully got a sense of how expansive the galaxy was until the prequel trilogy came out. Yeah. See, but then right. I don't you weren't know. supposed to. <laughs> well, I, but still, like, <laughs> like it, even then, I, I felt like you should get some glimpse of like how big it is. Um, Why? Whereas Why? I felt like at least 
what narrative purpose does that serve? Don't waste my time. Get me to the story. Well, I guess that depends on the story, though, right? Like, it, yeah. like, like, I mean, like with Dune is six, like six big books. Long. And if you're a better expositor, you can interweave that into all six of the books. I mean, you could. I think, and part of this has to do with time period too, right? So, like, 1960s writers, particularly 1960s writers of science fiction didn't know that yet because and that's even fair. To, I am I mean, very much know. imposing a person who has read other sci-fi other fantasy in 2021 yeah. on a book from 1965 yeah and I admit so this like right and, and and a certain uh, I mean I can only say this because of uh, one of my favorite scholars talked about this with actually no my favorite scholar talked about this with another like reader of they were talking about Robert Heinlein books and they were talking about how at the time it was very much in vogue for science fiction writers to Overexposed, but that's what we would call it now. Like they just wrote everything because because Tolkien did it. Was well, no, because I mean, because well, Tolkien was, this did was, it. This was, this was pre-Tolkien, uh, pre-Tolkien's influence, I would say, on both genres. It was just very much that's how you extrapolated. You just extrapolated on the page, and science fiction readers learned to deal with it. And, and I do applaud that he like people who know that much about their own universes as they're creating. Because I do think that, that you can sometimes tell when somebody <coughs> hasn't thought through some of the details of their own world building. Mm-hmm. I just don't personally necessarily care to have all of it on the page in front of me. Yeah. If you want to okay. even make like your own separate companion, like this is the Dune Encyclopedia, mm-hmm. and give me all of that exposition in this place, great. There is I'm, a Dune Encyclopedia. Of course. Is there really? It's, it's not written by Herbert, but he more or less approved of it. Was it written by his son then? No. Or just not? No. Okay. Okay. That's of course there is. Yeah. Like, I like all of that kind of thing as kind of like a separate, like, if I'm that invested, I can choose to go look for it, but I yeah. don't necessarily care about having it on, like, the text of the novel in front of me. Okay, so can I ask what the three people who read the book liked about the book? Because the only thing I can talk to talk about in those first 50 pages was the sentences. I thought they were, I mean, sentence for sentence, some of... The- I like his baby sister. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Aliyah is cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like the resulting imagination, like uh, the inspiration for imagination that I had after reading it. Now, I, yeah. I did read it when I was in my early 20s, but sure. um, I needed a distraction from things militant at the time, so, and that was a good Fair. But, um, a, a good, a good distraction. Yeah. But I, again, some of the reasons mentioned, I felt like it was a big, broad world. You can imagine a certain structure within the world, mm-hmm. um, and it was... You can imagine different things within the world because of what foundation was set in the Dune book. Now, where I, because we've talked pacing a little bit, we haven't gotten too deep oh into God, the pacing. The pacing. Um, and because I like to, I, I like to compare it to like foods or things like that. Um, there are some books in this world that are like that 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 leftover Chinese meal, that like that hunk of pizza, whatever the food is. You're thinking about it all day. You're at work. You're hanging with the family. You you want to get home and you get home to the fridge and you whip open the fridge and you're stuffing your face straight from Tupperware to mouth. I mean, you, you, it's obscene. Someone's going to come in the room and say, Get, don't eat it straight from the fridge! No. Warm it up at least! There are books out there like that. Like, you could, you'll be in mid-conversation with someone and you start thinking about your book and you start reading your book and they're like, are you, yeah, I'm listening. This was not that book. That's now, it was good. Interesting. But... And enough that I desperately read the next one, the next one, the next one. Sure. It was a fourth one where I kind of lost, a, like, okay, 
Where is he going with this? <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert. Which it, one's the fourth it, it, one? No, did, did, is that the one with the really weird cover? Yes. Okay. No also spoiler alert. They all kind of I was going to say, that, that was my favorite. The worm cover. The worm cover? Yeah, I won't spoiler alert the things that I was going to say. It does give away a big point. I was going to make fun of Duncan for a second. I should be the worm cover. You can make fun. I mean, I like the character. I feel like we should make fun of Duncan. I'm so glad nobody I like the character How are we dealing with spoilers? Because... It's been out for 50 years. But okay. the movie has only been out okay, for about that's a fair, month and a half. But I, th- I think that because of the release of the movie, there are people who are going to be drawn to reading the book this is, that we yeah. should not spoil it okay. for. They've known Dumbledore. has been coming out. For <laughs> okay, but like, but like, oh, like not everybody. Like, I'll try not people, to get it. I did that to my mom once. Like, if you're a, like, if you're a Timothy Chalamet fan, you knew, or if you're a fan yes. of any of the other actors in the movie, you knew, or if you're a sci-fi person, or if you follow those places, but Tom there are team. people who like watched it because they have an <laughs> HBO Max subscription, <laughs> and it showed up, and they watched it, and they weren't expecting to like it. That like huh? I don't know character name. I know I like it. Tom <laughs> And on the topic of the movie, I will say I saw an IMAX again last night actually oh. in Ann Arbor, and I appreciated it more the second time. Oh, did you? That feels fir- like a good IMAX movie to me. I it, haven't it seen was, it yet, but it feels like it would be a good IMAX movie. Yeah, because the first time I went in, mm. like, yeah. how are they going to screw it up? And then well, time, of course, right? Yes. Yeah. And then this time, we've all I, been there. I, I just watched it as like, as a movie fan, and it works well as a movie. So, I really enjoyed it. it works well as a, somebody who doesn't know anything about Dune goes mm-hmm. in and watches yes. it. It's a good like introduction. It's not like a, I need to know everything situation. It's a I come in, I know absolutely nothing, but the story is good enough that I can guess or gather certain elements. Mm-hmm. Except for the human computer guy, I was like, what the heck is this? A mentor. The mentor? Okay. Otherwise. The guy who, like, rolls his eye in the back of his head, and then all of a sudden he just, like, gets, like, all, like, the information that he needed or whatever. Yeah, but, so. Why don't I remember him? Because he's in the movie for, like, .2 seconds. Oh, yeah, because, like, all the great houses typically have a mentat to, like, guide them and, like, compute, because there are... Like, thinking computers have been outlawed in the Dune universe. And so it's a very low-tech sci-fi series. Thinking computers. So they basically are human computers, and they don't really, like, go into that in the movie. So you just see the sky roll his eyes to the back of his head and come out with some random, like, number. And I'm just like, hello? That's not terrifying at all. That, okay? Do you have a specific power? Like, are you important? He's a Plot twist, no. (laughs) But... They He's a clone droid. Important for being terrible at his one job. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> you saw the movie too, right? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I haven't yet. It's. I know it's. It. I know it's great. I know everyone. I trust. I just. Do it's I one of those films that I haven't flown to the theater to see yet. Do I have to watch Oscar Isaac die in front of me? Because I don't think I want to watch that. Um, yes. <gasps> He's naked when he dies. Okay. <laughs> Is he? Reels it back. Yeah. <laughs> I, hopefully that's not a turn on to anyone. Why don't I remember that? <laughs> I, that's something I would remember. Why would... Why? Somebody looking at the corpse. Mm. Like they get, <laughs> Oscar Isaac. They get Poe naked and he has a full beard and I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. But I it remember, was so impressive to you that it just right, right out. But I remember Timothy Chalamet waking up without a shirt and I remember thinking, yeah, that's cute. And that's great, but like, why? <laughs> 
the whole entire Oscar Isaac thing is kind of blindsided by, you know, a lot of other things that are happening with There is a scene. lot happening in that. Yes, that that sequence. <laughs> that scene I specifically was has a lot happening. I thought that enti- the entire sequence because for me, you know, reading the first 50 or 60 pages, I was just like, okay, I see what you're doing. You're building your world building and, you know, good writer, blah, blah, blah. But, like, okay, I get it, but why? And then watching the movie, I still felt that up until that moment. Like, I, I was like, okay, cool, quest for colonization, blah, blah, blah. With colonization! People, getting the spice, worms, blah. And then, and it was beautiful, but I was like, okay, that's great. But if I'm watching this movie because it's pretty, I'm going to be really mad. And then... It happens, and I was just like... That whole entire sequence just starts, and you're like, hello? It's a lot, and it's... It's not surprising, it's just a lot. Like, it's just like, okay, um... It's like, they build up, they build up this nice world, and it's pretty, and we get, like, that there's probably a conflict brewing. Okay. And then all of a sudden, it's like a... Yeah, it is a slap in the face. face. Yeah. Question. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So in the book... Yes. It's not a surprise that Oscar Isaac dies. Right. Because all of those little chapter header mm-hmm. bits straight up tell you that oh, his father sure dies. That, yes. Right. They don't... And I feel like that in the kind mo- of makes it lose some of its punch. I love, like, I don't mind them. I, sure. I kind of, like, I like the device of giving those sort of, like, chapter heading bits that kind of help you lead to where you are going. Mm-hmm. But I will say it wasn't exactly a gut punch when his father died. Because I found out a hundred pages ago that his father was gonna. You die. don't find out a hundred pages so, ago. It just so they kind of don't happened. let you know in advance. In they the movie. give you like a slight mm. foreshadowing that if you're not paying attention, that like you <laughs> completely and utterly miss it, and then it finally gets that whole entire sequence begins, and then you go, oh, this is gonna happen. This is gonna happen, but. Because it's I love it, the slap in the face. Out of your seat, practically. <laughs> yeah, Grace got something to say. So. Oh no! Are we gonna argue now? Can Jump I... in, Grant. Go. No, no. I was, I was, I was just <laughs> gonna, ask me the cheese its I was just gonna say for me the excerpts at the end of at the beginning of each chapter. Yeah, go for it. Um, which continues throughout the entire series. It, specifically in the first one, it really builds a sense of dread. Not well, a dread, yeah. b foreboding. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of goes along with. Paul's emerging prescience. Good luck trying to get any Yeah. Oh yeah, we're dealing with cheeses. Yeah, and it's also kind of one of those things. I guess cheeses. Maybe no, create some irony in the reader. Yeah. Because all of it is Paul going like, I don't want to start a religious war, and the writers are definitely like, Paul started a religious war <laughs> no. ten days after this. I'll, I'll get into that. I'll get into that. Yeah. Next do you think up. it was? Do you think it was lazy writing a little bit? Like I know. You know, there's a kind of a saying to write what you know. <laughs> sure. But like, like stuff going on, starting to go down in the Middle East. You know, that's becoming a, a, a. We're starting to know more about that region of the country. I mean, that article, someone dropped it in. I can't remember who dropped it in, but they're talking about like the Judeo, like everything. All these religions are starting in deserts. Oh, um, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a resource in this desert place mm-hmm. that we want. Mm-hmm. I mean, Herbert himself said multiple times that mm-hmm. spice is basically oil. That's um, fair. Now, of course, nowadays we have a more direct, like, you know, comparison with the war on, you know, with the war in Afghanistan and everything. Um, uh, yeah. And I honestly feel like, like, having come to that realization after reading, it may not have been that article, but it was sort of reading, it, I kept trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, I've seen half of the story unfold, which is the movie. 
I know his sentences are great. I don't understand why this keeps getting hailed as the greatest of all time. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And not just, like, greatest of all time by fans or greatest of all time by, like, this random list here or there. No, 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 no. Yeah, I read the greatest, whole book and I also don't know why this greatest is Greatest of all time. Now. Greatest of all time from the masterful writers from his uh, generation all the way till now. There are science fiction writers who met Frank Herbert who are still like, oh yeah, Dune is the greatest science fiction novel of all time, period. And you're just like, but why? And I think part of it was because it has a prescience that... If Frank Herbert had said in 1990, or in the early, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you're going to see this reflected, and America's going to jump in on this, and we're going to have an issue, and it's going to come back and bite you in the behind in the early 2000s, no one would have believed him. And yet, the book wades into, okay, I won't talk about the book. The movie wades into that so. That beginning of the movie literally almost just gives you- recklessly. There's a there's an incredible scene in the movie that I think is my favorite scene in the film. It's just visually um, breathtaking, but also if you lived through 9/11 as a child and the resulting war afterwards, you look at those shots and you go, "That's it. That's it." It's all, it's the whole thing is nothing but this giant metaphor for something that hadn't even happened yet. Like, oh yeah, oh, it Wasn't there a claim that there were it, weapons of mass destruction on? It, it, it Dune? But it was like, it, there, were, there, were, there were hints of these things back the in the 50s. Did the brother know how to fight that? I mean, it gives like... Back in the 50s and 60s, there were, there were glimmerings of all the things that we talk about now with irony. These things were not so well sewn into the way that the countries of this world were headed that someone could have should have been able to go, ha-ha, I know what's going to happen. No, it's like, did he look in a crystal ball? Did, was he really paying that close attention? I think attention? he maybe like, put, put How um, did well, he know? That, yes. <laughs> Two things. Yes. One, I feel like that leads to some of my personal underwhelming with it. Because I live in 2021, and I have <laughs> seen the world, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a story. And I can't always throw myself back into, like, that 1965 headspace. And frankly, if your book's only good if you throw yourself back into that headspace, it's not actually a good book. I am not sure about that. Full stop. Second point. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing how he has all this prescience for, like, global politics and can write exactly one woman. Oh, no, I agree. Uh, Yeah, no, I, yes. I I I think that's fair to say of any... I feel like I sound so cranky. Like, I did not actually hate doing you guys. There are parts of it that I liked, but, like, if everyone's going to go off. It's okay. It's, I got it's fair to do it's, okay. it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the book itself. I mean, you, I, no skin off my teeth. Because I thought the movie was visually stunning, but I thought thematically underwhelming. Aside from that, that single, like, moment of prescience where you realize the sky knew things that leaders in the American government either knew and ignored or didn't know because they weren't paying attention. We're going to go with the first option. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. But it's just like how this is, I mean, it would have been much more believable if it was written in 1975. But it, <laughs> it wasn't. And you're like, how, how? How? And that's, I think it's interesting. Um, but in terms of plot, I'm just like, okay, yes, I've seen this before. You know. I will say the, the plot is not what I remember about the first Dune. Yeah, um, that's fair. It's 
an idea-driven book, and I guess yeah. I guess I just changed my optics a little bit to focus on that. Um, yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> I will say, on the topic of those articles that we all shared around to help discuss for this podcast, yeah. the one that really helped kind of also change my own framing on how I thought about Dune was thinking about Paul Moore as an anti-hero mm -hmm. rather than yeah. a protagonist. Because I think it is a huge failure of everyone's marketing of this book to make Paul be like the Jesus figure, to be the protagonist. The white the, savior trope. The well, protagonist in the classical sense of the word. It's more like the... Yes. He's, but he's no, referred to right as the like Messiah. Think of the other books. Yes. Or as an, uh, a Messiah. He's more yeah. like the Like he sees character. himself becoming a Messiah figure. Yeah, he has yeah. that sort of... So, I mean, it's a fair comparison. Unfortunately, marketing can only do so much. But I think it's just you know. a big misconception on every viewer, reader's part yeah. to consider Paul as like the sort of white knight hero character. And yeah. I realize that's what we all are conditioned to think, too. Mm -hmm. sure. yeah. But I think the book becomes a little more interesting and enjoyable if you think about Paul as more of an anti-hero, not quite an antagonist, but like more morally gray than like portrayals of him. We got thrown into this. I guess it's okay. Let's go. And, if, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say immediately when you get into, into Dune Messiah, they he hammers that hard. Okay. Like, um, because mm -hmm. because the it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse that it was his original idea was for it to be one big book, the first three Dune novels, not on like, Lord of the Rings. God, it's already long enough. As then, he, one then, book. He, then he decided maybe that's not the best idea, and so nice. You yeah. think? Yeah, and so so book one. More or less follows the hero journey, hero's journey template. Yes. Two okay. is where it becomes a tragedy. Okay. A tragedy yeah. and a comment on um, people f blindly following their leaders, on religious fanaticism, mm -hmm. um, all that stuff. He said, "Look, I have a quote right here. Hold on." Yes. <laughs> um, we have seat. quote. Oh, oh I, I have tons of quotes. Oh, I well, I mean, yeah. He was, he was <laughs> much interviewed. Yeah. Um, because I think it wasn't it. I don't know if it was an instant bestseller, but I know that it was. I think it was a bestseller in his day. I don't remember. I feel like one of those articles talked about it, and now I don't remember. I'm just gonna keep eating my cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he said his original idea was to do a long novel about the mess the messianic convulsions which periodically infect inflict themselves on human societies. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I had this theory that superheroes were disastrous for humans. And even if you postulated an infallible hero, the things this hero set in motion fell into the hands of fallible mortals. What better way to destroy a civilization, society, or a race than to set people into the wild oscillations which follow their turning over their judgment and decision-making faculties? To a superhero. Okay. Which... That is actually... If that was the branding of the book, I probably would have enjoyed it more from the start. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I say it's a blessing and a curse. Like, people gleam onto the first book as, like, a fun adventure sci-fi novel, but... In the greater scope of the series, it's a lot more. And you know, some of that has to do with, because again, the, the game of writing in the 60s was so different yes. than it, I mean, way different than it is now. If you pitched that idea now, you start with an adventure series, you start with an adventure novel and all of them have to be adventure novels. Like you don't get to be deep on book three because you wrote book, you know, like no. Yeah. But, but, on the flip side, if he had approached a publisher with the giant Dune book, it would most likely be published because he doesn't have to waste time 
setting it up. He doesn't have to say, like, I'm going to set this book up so that you know that you're in a science fiction universe where there is this hero, and now I'm going to destroy your idea of the hero in the sequel. These days, they're just like, no, give us chapter one where he beca- where he's the hero, and then at the end of chapter one, destroy the hero, and then let's keep moving, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's one of those things that's tricky about being a modern reader and encountering the series for the first time if you've lost your patience with the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then and it's again, hard to take especially in. Especially, too, you know? with that, again, the first 50, 60 pages being all about how Paul is a special boy, I am conditioned to read that as, okay, that's the main character. I am a real boy. That's theoretically the good guy of this book. Do you really still read that way? If I'm not told from early on, like, this person's going to be morally gray, I kind of assume, okay. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay. No, I I, I mean, yeah. And especially in a fantasy novel, that person's a very special boy. Okay, well, that's probably the hero, and theoretically they're the person I'm supposed to root for. Yeah, sure. that kind of makes sense. I, I used to, yeah. I read like that too sometimes. No. Yeah. And there, there was definitely yeah. that reaction when the book came out. They read it that way. Oh, right. Yeah. Dune, Dune Messiah was not well received when it came out. <laughs> I can imagine not. No. You would assume so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. <laughs> over the years, with the context of the whole series, um, you know, it's it's definitely risen in estimation. But, yeah, right. Um, and I, I definitely view the first three as one story of like here's my question yeah do you think because i feel this way about the lord of the rings i think that one of the one of the great on un- one of the great misfortunes is that the war caused paper to be so expensive and printing mm-hmm. costs to be so high yeah because we should have received that book as one instead of three um it reads that way he wrote it that way and it feels fellowship feels like it's part act one of a three act as a person who doesn't want to have a shoulder injury from carrying around all three <laughs> Lord of the Rings books in one big volume. It is heavy. Yes, it's very heavy. Um, but I love that. Like you, that, that weight is earned when you're holding a book that big and you're reading. It recontextualizes everything so that chapter one doesn't feel like he's being a jerk. It's like, oh, this is a thousand pages. He's setting me up for this whole thing, right? Do you think that the first three books would read better if they were one giant book, or should they be, did he do a fine enough job of sort of separating them out? I think he did a fine enough job of separating. Because okay. um, they yeah. each have their own vibe. Um, yeah. I mean, his his initial plan was for it to be one epic work right. on, the, on the rise and fall of a messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. However, I feel like once he realized nobody's going to give me the money to do that, <laughs> he, you know, yeah. he, uh, um, he decided to split it up into three distinct things but you know it's one story yeah 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 I like, I, yeah. yeah that's just yeah. my feeling yeah jk rowling once referred to harry potter as being um one big novel split into seven volumes for the convenience of the reader and suddenly i was like oh that's why you spend the first like 10 pages of the first four books explaining the plot all over again also that's how because you, you have knew, to because you knew that you were, like, she knew from early enough, anyway, that she's dividing it into seven books, not because it's seven separate stories, but because it's one big thing that you're going to re-encounter every time. Is that not just a series? But prior to, that's not, that wasn't common before Harry. 
it was a thing that people did, but most people accidentally lucked into writing series. As, like, That's very Chronicles of Narnia is very much, yeah. I had seven stories and here you go. Yeah, kids. like even, Tam- <laughs> even Tamara Pierce wrote Song of the Lioness as one giant book, and when she sent it to her publisher, they were like, so the reason adult publishers don't want to publish you is because this is a YA book, let's split it up because it's too big. She was like, oh, you can do that? And they're like, we'll pay you to do it. And she's like, sure. <laughs> so I think it's just that like post Harry Potter, everything is thought of that way, but like pre-Harry is, you know. People didn't think about series? Not until this, not until, not until someone was like, hey, why is there a lamppost? And Lewis goes, why is there a lamppost? <laughs> Let's write a whole book to find out why there's a lamppost. <laughs> and then you're like, Okay, but like, <laughs> writers didn't think about series because Fellowship had been published by then. I think there were like, like within fantasy, there was much more of a tendency towards that. But even then in children's fantasy, there was like, a, this whole like Susan Cooper, for example, wrote the first book of the Dark is Rising books, just like okay, it's just one book, and then her publisher was like, "So do you want to do can, more?" Can and she's like, "She's like, oh well, yeah. I mean, you know, does the whole Arthur saga? I could just write another one." They're like, "Yeah, yeah do, do that." So, you know, and, yeah. Up up until like the mid '60s or whatever, wasn't uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, mm. but wasn't sci-fi and fantasy predominantly like pulpy and like told in episodic. like episodic uh, and, yeah in episodic nature yeah you had I mean yes because the ma- the the pulp magazines dominated everything mm-hmm. so you know you were telling stories for those audiences predominantly and I think that's another reason that Dune is so effective to its generation because it was one of the first books to take science fiction seriously as a category of literature and then you know a few years later you have people like Ursula Le Guin and Samuel R. Delaney and like just taking that and running with it so he was really like a step just before that generation of writers who were just like hey these can be good you know like yeah we love cheesy like metal robots and death rays and stuff but like we can write good books you know (laughs) so they just yeah I think Frank Herbert was sort of the forerunner in that and and he, he purposely separated it from, like, hard science fiction. Like, he, ne- he never really gets into the actual science of stuff, but with, the, with the exception of, like, the ecology of the planet and stuff, because that, that's, he was really interested in that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and um, I, yeah, I have a problem with the term hard science fiction, because I'm like, it's only hard science fiction if you're, like, biology and chemistry, but you start talking about sociology, and suddenly it's like, it's not hard science fiction. No, no, yeah. Why? And it's like, why? Because it's hard science? Like, pfft. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I agree. And it's I, science. I, that's, I, that's the end of the question. That's the end. That's the answer. That's it. Science. Yeah. No, and don't get me wrong. I love Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and stuff. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I grew up reading them and stuff, but yeah, with Dune and stuff, I, I just he dealt with more human problems and how how humanity will be taken into the future and like how mm-hmm. human institutions will evolve, and, yeah. as opposed to like. Science, you know. You know, I yeah. like the in that LitHub article that someone shared. Um, I like that the irony that there was no humor at all in this in Dune. This is what the article was talking about. That there is no humor at all uh. for all its excitement and vitality. The novel is pervaded with a tragic sense of life. That's such an interesting phrase. A tragic sense of life. Like it's just. Like, I'm sorry that you've never enjoyed yourself. <laughs> 
But you know, it's. I'm sorry. I'm so over people who think tragedy is like the biggest mode of life and thus the only thing worth exploring in yeah. fiction and the only thing that people will remember. Or even just the thing that is like worthy, right? Like, yeah. there is this sort of. There has been for a long time this sense that like if it's tragic and you can tap into that then you're really doing something and it's like yeah but have you ever read a Shakespeare tragedy they're hilarious yeah and yeah. that man knew a tragedy like he knew also like his comedies have stuck around yeah and those com- and his comedies are like painful yeah. at times like you're like sir stop like but you're giggling the whole time because yeah. he understood and sitcoms do the same thing not to bang on about that forever but like sitcoms they like do the same thing where they find that fine line of like this is hilarious but if you're not laughing it's not really that funny <laughs> you know what I mean um, but I can also understand the idea of reading a book that big that is humorless there's something that's really appealing in, no there's not in that <laughs> for some readers it's a personal thing yeah it is it is a very it is that's true there's a very like and this I'm, is my personal feeling and response <laughs> I'm not necessarily one to like seek out humorless books but if I find one and it has it if it if it does everything just right I can I I understand that appeal I understand like the draw in of like this book made see me I don't think fall. it hits as hard if there's not <laughs> something to undercut it and it doesn't have to be like slapstick like Paul Atreides goes and falls on a banana peel <laughs> even, even, even within tragedy though yeah. even within like some of the most heart-wrenching books or stories you you come across there's maybe like a little private joke shared between characters that they explained to a minute degree. There's something. Life is full of humor, even at its most dark. Yeah, and I. Think I mean, even being in like some me. dark places myself personally, mental health struggles. There are some jokes that have come out of me that like, I'm cackling like a demon. People are like, "You need to get help." No, for me. Are you okay? Absolutely yeah. not. Nah. Let's continue. <laughs> and also for me, like, what makes a tragedy hit harder? is like the moment before it happens two people are laughing about something and then one of them gets killed by the piano falling out of the sky like to Mm -hmm. me that's more tragic than somebody going on like you know I know I'm going to die by a piano falling out of the sky and I'm taking it very seriously and I'm never going to let that break and then when they get hit by the piano I'm like okay well you You said on page one I was going to you know what makes it worse that one moment where there's like hope and yeah. you sit there and you go, oh, everything's fine now. And I'm talking about a very specific character moment from the movie. And you all, those who watch the movie know exactly which moment I'm talking about. Where they're like, oh, they foreshadowed this like ages ago that this is going to happen. And then you finally get to the point in the movie and you're like, oh, well, maybe they changed it. Maybe it's not going to happen. And then oh, all of a sudden, like, the door is closed. Well, like what I'm thinking of yes. right now, too, <laughs> in an entirely different Genre and style writing, all this kind of thing. Granted, I grant you. The Fault in Our Stars. Okay. From page one, you think Hazel is gonna die. Yes. That's the implication, yeah. And even that she even is though, not gonna make it through. She's the narrator. You're like, oh, yeah. she's gonna die on the last page or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then you even get to they're in Amsterdam. Sorry for everyone that I'm spoiling this book for, by the way. It's been out for ten years. Ten. Years. At least ten years. Okay, yeah, yeah. But like, I'll Google it. <laughs> it was a global phenomenon, yeah. people. But like, they get to Amsterdam. <laughs> It's been such a struggle. Like, Hazel's had that relapse. She can barely climb the stairs in the Anne Frank house. She is so sick that she cannot physically do this. Yeah. But she gets that brilliant moment they got to yell Nine at, years old okay. as of this year. But next okay. year it'll be tw- ten. So close enough. Oh, nice. 
Because I think it came out in like January, February, anyways. It did. Yeah. January 2012. Yeah. So, and they, she's had that great moment of getting to yell at Peter Van Houten and like yeah. calling him a d bag to his face. Like it's been great. Yeah. And then Gus sits her down on the bench and goes, "I have my relapse. I am actively dying." And then you want to yeah. fall off your couch. You know. Yes. And for me, that hits harder than if I had been told on page one, I'm Hazel Grace and my boyfriend died. I think I get no, not no, I get very little satisfaction out of that kind of thing, but I think it's because I've seen too much TV. I can sniff it coming. Like, it's just like 10 pages before, you're just like, okay, all right. Because every, no writer has figured out how, and maybe it's because we have all gone to television, I don't know, but like, there's this, no writer knows how to, like, not foreshadow that. But there are always tells. Always moments where you're like, you about to drop a hammer, aren't you? You're about to drop a... You dropped a hammer. I may not have known the hammer was going to hit his head instead of hers, but you're going to drop a hammer. Like, it's fine. For me, the moments that hit harder are moments, like, if you don't stop the narrative there, if you keep going and watching people have to deal with the consequences of something difficult... That is, okay. or gut-wrenching. And I think that's one of the moments in the Dune film that I appreciated because you have you have that incredible, like, dynamic sequence, which was well-paced. So this is the other thing that I really liked about it, is that you know... I'm glad that, something about Dune was well-paced. Yeah, really, that part of the film was really well-paced because you know, right? You know everything that's about to happen from the moment the doctor says goodnight. You're like, oh my God. Like, here's the fan. Here's some poop. Watch it fly. Like that's what's about to happen, and it does, and it happens gloriously and beautifully. Suddenly, the, the like the darkness of Dune is lit up this bright orange that is only the color of like mountains of fire surging on a planet. Like it's incredible. You get that whole sequence going. You watch Paul and his mom escape. All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. And then after they've like finally gotten away. Yeah, no. Then you have to watch that. Like, then there's a moment where like they wake up the next morning, and they're inside of a tent, which is fine. They survived. They lasted the night. All the people who tried to kill them aren't trying to kill them anymore, or maybe they are, but they don't know where they but not are. Right now. All right, and you're in, and then you realize as they step outside of the tent, they're on an a planet foreign to themselves. Yes. And it's entirely made of sand dunes, and you go. Oh my god, like, and moments like that are so much harder for me because I'm like, why didn't they just die? It'd have been so much better if they just, because now they have to deal with the crap. Now they have to actually find their way across the planet. Will it's they? A real it, short book. If you just will they? Right there. Right. Will they find a water no, source? Is there a water source? How do they well, know? Jen, like, I have a smack, and suddenly but I have a everything smack. has to be much more plausible. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. So it's like. What's gonna happen? I hate moments. I mean, I love them, but I, they're Her so hard. On <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, that's my no five cents. Um, if I can be on brand for a second, yes, and make it make a movie <laughs> on comparison. brand. Ooh, yes. Um, I feel the same way about the constant foreshadowing in Dune, and like you know what's gonna happen to mm-hmm. um, Barry Lyndon. Has anybody seen that movie? Oh, I haven't. That's the um um Kubrick movie. Stanley right? Kubrick. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Off topic, but I, I, I find some similarities between Herbert and Kubrick, and like 
how thematically dense their stuff is. And you, you might not see it at first, but yeah. Um, like from the very the very first scene in Barry Lyndon, the narrator makes it very clear how and when the titular character is going to die. He dies poor, he dies penniless, alone, no family. Okay. Or his family's gone. Okay. And then you spend the whole movie, how do how did we get here? Um how how look at all these chances that he could have taken to improve his life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he there were multiple chances for him to uh, change the change the course of events, and yeah. but to me that's the essence of a tragedy. Like, no, I do think something like yeah. knowing you know how this ends for them, and you're watching mm -hmm. them, and you know if you just did this, it would all be different. If you just did that, it would all be different. That is like physically painful. Yeah, and yeah, and in the book, I can't remember if he calls it this in the first book, but he refers to his prescience as his terrible purpose. Uh, it's just yeah. the weight of knowing what is going to happen. And this is only intensified in the sequels where, A, he becomes super bored with <laughs> life, and B, he feels like he's, well, he literally is trapped walking this one path. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, he knows the, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, <laughs> what word am I looking for? It's going to affect people that he loves. Um, okay. Oh. He can't do anything about it. Um, and eventually in the series, um, that's kind of a certain character's plan to eliminate prescience from humanity forever because it's a trap. Mm. Like, he calls, it the, he calls it the prescience trap. And Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Yeah. It's a whole know. other podcast. <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Write it down so we remember that. Okay. I did find a third one for the one that we were talking also, about. Also, I love how just, like, prescience in Dune is what kills you, but no prescience in horror movies is also what kills you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> with the one exception maybe being Final Destination. <laughs> what if I run into the house where this man was calling me? Well, okay. No prescience. You say, you say no prescience, but then you watch Jurassic Park and you're like, they told you. Or you watch Gremlins and you're like, they you told you. were warned. It's on the box. Or Jaws, where it's like the the chief of police is saying, Mayor, shut down the beach. Mayor, shut down the beach. And then you watch all these kids get on a raft, go into the water. They're not even like that distant from shore because they're all tiny. And suddenly the entire raft deflates and all you see is an explosion of blood where there were once children. And you're just like, first oh. of all, Really, Spielberg? And then second of all, you were warned, and yet. You do realize a lot of science fiction movies really start with a scientist who knows what they're talking about and everyone ignores them, right? Oh, then there's that, yeah. That's, I think that's probably my favorite, like, subcategory of <laughs> science fiction anything, is that. Random tidbit of trivia. Um, you ever watch uh, Gilligan's Island? Yes. You notice that they, they treat the millionaire like a clown and actually trust the scientist? Yes. I'm just gonna leave it there. Um, Aaron, what's this Mac? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so Jen and I were talking about this the other day. So uh, I found a third one for this. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. So the first one is uh, Tamagotchi Clydesdale as uh, Paul Atreides in Dune. Okay. The uh, second one is um, Tweety Bird Cheerios as what is his name? Lori. Lori from Little Women. Little Women. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> and then the third and final one is. Uh, Tweed's cherry Kool-Aid in um, Lady Bird. 
Ladybird. So, aka. Timothy Chalamet and Dune yeah. versus T- Timothy Chalamet and Little Women versus Timothy Chalamet and Ladybird. Go. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna have to go strictly off of performance here. <laughs> um, you marry Lori, which you should do anyway. Unless your name is Joe. Um, <laughs> Joe, you were wrong, <laughs> and I will say this until the end of my days because Joe, I love you for all of my being, and Honey, the man you married was and we have no complaints here. <laughs> However, you should have married Lori. Like, get it together, girl. However, so Timothy Chalamet's Lori, you marry. Okay. Because you just marry Lori anyway. Um, <laughs> you're gonna make it choose. You kill, you, you kill Timothy Chalamet's Ladybird character because at the end of the day, he was a jerk. Yeah, true. And he was a jerk to that Wait, girl. so does this mean we're like, snogging Paul of all characters? Oh, yeah. Okay. Snog- he's funny. gonna have a complex about it either way. <laughs> But that's fine. <laughs> you will remember me when the prescience trap comes, sir. And that is I, I, all I that I... That. Yeah, that's I, I, I actually agree with your that, I'm okay whole with entire that. thing. But I yeah. almost used him in the, the king for my third one, but I decided to do oh, I haven't Lady seen Bird. that one. Yeah, no, his Ladybird character, as well acted as he was, was a... Jerk. What if we sure. threw in his character from Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, see, I feel weird about that because the only reason I thought was... Okay.